Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson. Aquaculture is the fastest growing protein production industry globally, with Vietnam one of the top producers and exporters of seafood products. In Vietnam, aquaculture is seen as a means of protecting rural livelihoods threatened by the consequences of climate change on agriculture. But climate change also drives the emergence of marine bacterial pathogens, causing considerable losses to aquaculture production. Traditionally, pathogen blooms have been treated with the antimicrobials, but this has resulted in the emergence and spread of antimicrobial resistance in aquaculture settings. So how can we combat these bacterial pathogens without fostering antimicrobial resistance, whilst also continuing to produce the seafood needed to meet the world's protein needs? To answer this question and talk to us about novel ecological antimicrobial solutions, I am joined by Dr. Carola Venturini, an expert research microbiologist and lecturer at the Sydney School of Veterinary Sciences at the University of Sydney. Her work investigates solutions to the crisis posed by the global rise in antimicrobial resistance in bacteria causing severe infections, with a particular focus on One Health, One World approaches. Her primary research areas are antimicrobial resistance transmission routes and mechanisms, impact of antibiotic use on gut health, and the design of bacteriophage-based applications against multidrug resistant pathogens, including in aquaculture settings in Australia and Vietnam. Carola, welcome to SEAC Stories. Thank you very much, Natalie. I'm very happy to be here. So, what is aquaculture? Let's start there, because that's Mm. what we're going to be discussing in this particular podcast. So, what is aquaculture and why is it important in Vietnam? So aquaculture is the farming of seafood in a setting where you have some intervention to enhance production. So that's what makes it different from, say, capture fisheries, from natural fishing farms. So you have a system where you have a set of parameters that are helping production in terms of quantity of seafood produced. So this means that maybe the water is monitored, Correct, yes. Salinity is monitored. So there is a lot of best practice management and biosecurity involved with aquaculture because that's sort of the first port of call to make this kind of industry sustainable. Mm -hmm. And typically, have we thought of sustainability when it comes to farming fish as capture fishing? And has that change so that we're now more focused on aquaculture as a sustainable source of fish protein? Yeah, that's right. It's probably the fastest protein producing industry in the world. And that is because of basically population growth. So capture fisheries, sort of traditional fishing practices are not really sustainable any longer to ensure that we can feed the growing population in the world. And this is particularly a problem in Southeast Asia. So why is what is happening in Vietnamese aquaculture of relevance to us here in Australia? Yeah, so Vietnam, first of all, is one of those fast-growing economies that is closely related to Australia. So we have an economical association with Vietnam, and obviously we are sitting in the same geographical region in the world. What's happening in Vietnam is that aquaculture is really taking over as a major primary industry. In 
Australia, aquaculture is extremely important as well. But in Vietnam, it's sort of being pushed really by the government. It has been for a while, for the, the past probably 20 or 30 years, as the industry to foster and to get into for rural people particularly. So this has been because of a fast-growing population and also the effects of climate change. So those have already been seen in agricultural settings, so agriculture and farming are looked as less sustainable. Also on top of that, Vietnamese people love their fish. It's easy to prepare, it has high nutritional value. It costs less than other forms of protein like beef, for example. So it sort of fits culturally in that country as well as a growing industry. So these aquaculture production sites, where are they located? Does it depend on the type of product that they're producing? Absolutely, yes. And in Vietnam, aquaculture is extremely diversified, even though there are some sort of favorite cultures say shrimp prawns Prawns, really exactly (laughs) (laughs) really we are in australia (laughs) they are very uh, i mean that's like a major seafood product in um, aquaculture settings in vietnam but we have fish and we have different crustaceans catfish one of the main products that are also we have to think about production for local consumption but vietnam exports a lot as well so it's one of the top exporters globally of seafood and i understand that they're Main seafood exports coming out of Vietnam are clams, tuna, squid and octopus. Yeah, that's correct. And Vietnam has a lot of coast, so it's a perfect country for aquaculture. There's like over 3,000 kilometres, I think, of coastline. I mean, Australia is that as well, but we have rocky coast. And so there are different environments in Vietnam. The rivers, there's a lot of water. So Vietnam is perfect. It's perfect also for a diversified, as I'm saying, industry. The sector was developed with an eye on sustainability, as we were saying Mm. earlier, specifically the sustainability of harvests derived from capture fisheries. But how does climate change factor into this? What sort of effect is that having on sustainability in aquaculture? It's kind of funny because aquaculture is more sustainable in the setting of a world dealing with climate change. However, climate change has a big impact on the sustainability of aquaculture itself. So the issue of sustainability with aquaculture is growing industry. So you need more regulation and you need to have practices that allow for it to remain sustainable because aquaculture can you know change waterways and we'll we'll talk maybe a bit more about that um, in a minute so there are effects of aquaculture on the environment itself that can be exacerbated by impact of climate change on top of that the biggest threat to aquaculture and its sustainability is the rising fish pathogens Mm. and that's brought about by climate change Okay, well, I do want to come to the pathogens, but before we do, could you just tell us a little bit more about how aquaculture changes waterways? Is it in terms of runoff? It it is mainly in terms of runoff, as Mm. I understand it. Obviously, it changes the physical environment a little bit too, because you have to have the tanks and all the setting up. And there is a difference between, I guess, aquaculture run by big industries, which is starting to, industry conglomerates, which is starting to happen in Vietnam, but we have aquaculture settings where you have smaller local operations and as I'm saying it's kind of physical but it is mainly in terms of runoff because of what we use to make sure that we keep 
our pathogens at bay. Okay, well, so let, let's talk about pathogens. And, yes, and that's um, my thing. That's your, that's your thing. Well, I, I did wonder when I was researching, uh, you know, about this podcast, do you eat seafood? I do, I do. And my colleague, Dr. Francisca Samsing Pedrals and I, so she's the vet who is very much involved in aquaculture. She's our aquaculture expert at the Sydney School of Veterinary Science, where I work. And she's my colleague in this work we are doing with aquaculture and, you know, antimicrobial solutions. And uh, me and her actually did some work on trying to isolate bacteria from seafood that you know, we got from the market. And I guess when you see things growing in a petri dish in the lab, you get a little bit nervous. But there was nothing overtly terrible in there. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> and so for a minute, we really thought about it, but we, love both, we, we both love oysters, oysters so we, we uh, couldn't stay away from oysters uh-huh. for very long. <laughs> okay, so the reason I'm asking, yeah. do you eat seafood, is because, yeah, these pathogens are present. These are bacteria that normally live in harmless association with their host, so the barramundi or the oyster perhaps. So what's the what's the issue with them? Why are you researching them? So these so-called opportunistic pathogens are very interesting to me as a microbiologist, to Francisca as a vet as well. Because, as you say, they are bacteria that can reside quite happily in the gut generally, sometimes on the skin of animals or mammals or fish or whatever. There are many different species. They are called opportunistic pathogens and, you know, live with the host and not cause disease. However, these species have characteristics, carry genes and are able to cause disease in certain circumstances. Yeah, and is that what climate change is, is doing? Yes, it's creating yes. These... Well, it creates, it allows for these pathogens to grow faster. And mainly what climate change does is that, say, there are many, many different effects that climate change can have on the environment, on, say, a water system. And these are often difficult to quantify and they are varied. But say, for example, what we know, climate change changes temperature of water, changes the salinity of the water, changes the acidity of the water. That has an impact on fish health. So fish and crustaceans, let's say, are less happy. So they are a bit more vulnerable. So you have growing populations of bacteria that can cause disease when they find the right opportunity, and you have vulnerable flora, fish and crustaceans and what have you. And so this creates the perfect environment for outbreaks of disease. So given Vietnam's increasing focus on aquaculture as a, a protein industry, what disease management strategies are there in place in Vietnam for yeah, managing these? Yes, yeah, so aquaculture all, all over the world, as we were saying before, is really guided by best practices and you know biosecurity measures are always in place and more and more. But often, or the most traditional approach to control pathogens has been the use of chemicals and drugs. Mm. Yeah, so antibiotics in particular. Yeah, okay. So the the 
usually treated with various antimicrobial and chemical yes. drugs. But as we know, there are consequences for the overuse and the unregulated use of these Absolutely. sort of these yeah. drugs. Can you tell us about these yeah. consequences? So we were talking about runoff before. Mm. So you have these drugs can be dispersed in the environment. What I'm saying is that you have a localized effect and you have a, a more a broader effect because the drugs are sort of uh, given in one setting, but they can also disperse. The use and overuse of antibiotics or any antimicrobial is the root cause of the development and spread of antimicrobial resistance. So bacteria that are exposed over and over again to antimicrobials, to continued prolonged doses, to high doses, they respond by becoming or developing mechanisms to withstand the activity of the antimicrobial. And so we have the rise of antimicrobial resistance. So I think something I've only really become aware of recently is that there's there's a lot of talk about antimicrobial resistance, but I realised I didn't really understand it. I always thought it was about how many antibiotics I, as an individual, am consuming. And, you, you know, that would determine my level of antimicrobial resistance. But actually, it's the use of these chemicals in the environment, in food production systems that are resulting in antimicrobial resistance, not my individual use of, of antibiotics it's both yeah it right. could, could be yours but definitely the using or heavy using certain settings say in mm. production settings in hospitals yeah that's what really drives antimicrobial resistance now the point of and you know resistance could develop in you but you have a good say immune system the bug develops resistance but doesn't thrive you have settings where the bug can thrive if you have say an immunocompromised fish or patient and you also have settings where the bug can transfer and find a place where it thrives mm. and so resistance transfer is a big you know, an important issue, keeping in mind when we think about how to solve the problem of resistance or, you know, curbing its effects, its impact. So I think what's really interesting when we're thinking about antimicrobial resistance, is it something we all have a stake in? Just Yes. As a function a great, of the, Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's yeah. a little bit like vaccines. I don't want to be controversial. No. But, <laughs> you know, there is a choice that you make for yourself to be sort of conscious and manage or take a responsibility for the drugs you're using because there is a flow on effect. Mm. Yes. Mm. So we we do all have a stake. And that is also, you know, the link, say, Australia-Vietnam. We are rolling it together kind of thing. Absolutely. So what are the alternatives rather than using drugs? What are the alternatives for aquaculture producers who are trying to balance production? And so I'll sort of sound my own bell. Yes. <laughs> Let's I'll ring that, that bell. <laughs> I'll say that bacteriophages are the answer. But it's not only bacteriophages. And what I'm talking about is these viruses that are naturally occurring and they are the natural predator of bacteria. These viruses do not infect any mammalian cells. So they are not uh, dangerous for any organism other than a bacterium. 
That's so. I mean, what a what a very gift targeted. from nature. That is. That's correct. These so we should bacteriophage, right? Yeah. So tell us about the bacteriophage as these natural predators of bacteria. How how did how do you you know identify them? How did you discover them and and find so out their efficacy? So it's funny. Bacteriophages have been discovered a long time ago. Uh, a few years ago, 2017, I was in France for the 100th year celebration of the discovery of phages. So it's not something new. And in fact, they were put to work as antimicrobials immediately after their discovery. They were used to treat dysentery in uh, frontline soldiers in World War I with some success. What happened shortly after is that antibiotics were discovered and they worked much better and much faster. And the truth is that it was the action of antibiotics is easier to understand from a scientific and from a layperson point of view. Also, antibiotics are, were easy to produce, so they practically t- took over. And phages was kind of forgotten, not everywhere, Eastern Europe was really good at continuing working with phages and using phages for therapy. But certainly in our country, in Western Europe, in the US, antibiotics took over. So it's but so then interesting antibiotic how they were resistance started over becoming a problem, ago, which is and now there a are small pockets crisis. of researchers continuing and their research around the world, even at the same time as you know we were embracing antibiotics. Can you tell us more about the particular diseases that they're being used to treat? in the seafood industry in Vietnam? Yes, so the application, uh, as far as I know, so that's why we are in this space. I think we are making progress in starting to use these alternative antimicrobials in countries like Vietnam, but uh, they are by no means um, something that is, you know, produced or used readily. There's a little bit more work to do to understand how to best use these. Um, Really, they are microorganisms, so that makes it a bit trickier, say, than a chemical drug, a chemical compound. But also there are legislative issues around using microorganisms in any kind of application. So we have some products on the market, none in Vietnam, There's a couple for use in India exclusively. Uh, There's one only that can be sort of purchased globally. And these are all because of this. So bacteriophages are very specific. They target one species of bacteria, sometimes one subtype. So it's kind of great, but it can be a bit of a hindrance as well. So these products tend to be against one type of bug. In fact, it's very important that we need to develop phage-based products that work for different places. So we are dealing often with the same pathogens, but the strains might vary in different geographical locations. So we need to understand what we are targeting to best to develop best phage therapeutics. And can I just ask, how do you administer the phages? Are you out there injecting individual yeah, fish? So yes, that has you been are? done. That has been done. <laughs> it has been done in laboratory settings a, a lot. Uh, injection is one of the routes. But Aquaculture, that's why to me is a little bit or particularly exciting. There are several different routes you can you can take for administration and they seem to all work pretty well. I've worked in phage therapy in pay, or b- being close to uh, people who are, you know, uh, using phages to treat 
patients and there we have a lot more complications related to those and administration routes. So with the preliminary data we have for phage application in aquaculture, uh, we seem to have pretty good success in reducing bacterial burden, so bacterial counts, bacterial load, in set with, with different administration routes. So there's immersion, which is something that we'll be pursuing in our experiments. So you just add the phage to the water tank. There can be injections, as you say, intramuscular, intraperitoneal. That's a bit trickier with the fish and little fish. And, and labor the, and cost intensive. Absolutely. Mm. If Francisca was here, she would tell you how hard it is <laughs> to yeah, have. Catching fish, yes. Absolutely. And she has had a lot of experience with small and big fish. Yeah. But that I think that would be tricky. It seems that the oral administration gets the best results. So through food? Through feed, yes. So you impregnate the feed with the phage preparation and then you feed it to the fish. And that seems to have worked. Sometimes with phages, stomach acidity can deactivate the phage or sort of ruin it in some way, but it it appears that that's not the case Mm. and they've had very good results. Mm. So that's another route to explore. So what what is next in your research on aquaculture? Is it about encouraging awareness and uptake of these novel ecological antimicrobial solutions or is it about rolling it out to other industries, developing it for other sectors? What, what's Where's it going from here? Yes, yeah, so as far as the aquaculture uh, part goes, we are really interested in trying to develop products that we can actually use for treatment in Australia and in Vietnam. Mm. So in Vietnam, we've been, we had a recent trip with Francisca where we spoke with some researchers over there and established a collaboration where we can actually go to fish farms Mm -hmm. and uh, talk to farmers and perhaps, you know, be able to apply products very soon in, in a real setting. I'm a microbiologist and a lab rat. So I want to do my due diligence in the lab before we go out there. But phages are safe. That's one thing that we can say for sure. So getting from sort of initial trials in the lab of efficacy to application, it's not that that long of a process. Other than that, I work in a lot of other areas where phages could be of use and useful, you know. Yeah, let me ask you about that just before we wrap up, because I understand you've just come back from a visit to Cornell University supported by the Cornell Mobility Grant here at the University of Sydney, and you were working on phages in relation to gut health over there. Can you tell us about that? Yes, that's right. That's another exciting project, actually, because that involves, for example, bacteria or targeting bacteria. I won't call them, we should call them pathogens, but it's, yeah. Okay, I'll explain myself. (laughs) So (laughs) we are looking at bacteria that are associated with Crohn's disease. They don't necessarily cause Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease, but we know that if these bugs are present, these conditions are exacerbated. And their presence leads to sort of severe forms of the disease. So we would like to be able to manage these bugs. Very different, well, 
not that different, but a little bit different from the bugs we're looking at in aquaculture, where we tend to look at skin lesions and sort of, well, systemic infection eventually, but we start generally from skin lesions. That's where the bacteria start the disease with these other bugs in, in the gut. The gut is where we're looking. And with the Cornell collaborators, we're thinking about trying to use uh, combinations of novel antimicrobials, including phage. So that's very interesting. The application would be I'm talking to someone who is a gastroenterologist, a veterinarian, but he works also in the human medicine space, and they are carrying out phage trials for Crohn disease patients. So we'll have some good data from, I think, that trial to inform what we do. But we would really like to develop this multimodal therapy. I think one of the strengths of phage is going to be the combinatorial effects. So it may not just be phage that solves the issue, but combining in a smart way different drugs, including the antibiotics that we have at our disposal. Carola, it's been so interesting and I really love how this is a global issue, antimicrobial resistance, and you've presented it to us within the context of Southeast Asia, looking at aquaculture in Vietnam, but also given us a bit of a hint about the broader relevance of the research for humans across the world and the animals uh, that we live with as well. So thank you very much for joining us on SEAC Stories. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to SEAC Stories. Brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.